Hello and welcome to the Richard Grannon Podcast with me, your host, Richard Grannon. I once had a client who was, uh, she was mean. She didn't mean to be mean, but she was an intelligent woman who was good with her words, who was raised in an environment where saying things was a means of attacking people in order to defend yourself. So you knew you were going to be attacked verbally and be made to feel guilt and shame and horrible things. So she learned how to to counterattack first. Counterattack first. That's some sort of new speak right there. I believe it's called a preemptive strike, technically speaking. And uh, that had become like a habit pattern for her and a pattern of just interacting with the world. And she wasn't happy with the results it was getting her because, you know, it's hard to be friends with somebody who has this very acerbic, uh, acidic communication style where they're constantly seeking to make other people feel bad. And she said to me, you know, I, I don't have that many friends. How do I make more friends? How do I make it so that more people like me? Do you have any of those weird NLP hypnosis mind hack things? And I was like, sit down my child and prepare to take the red pill. What if I told you you don't have to be a dick whilst communicating with others? What if I told you that making other people feel bad is truly wretched and to believe that that is some kind of a skill is um, kind of preposterous and rather weak and childish. It's not a skill making people feel bad. It's not something to be proud of making other people feel bad because people already feel bad most of the time anyway. It's actually really easy. You're kind of punching down there. It's an easy thing to do. And she said, well, okay, so how do I make people feel good? Give me the NLP mind hack that makes people feel good. And I said, okay, I will. And I looked at her and I made eye contact with her with my right eye wrist into her right eye wrist. And I breathed and I smiled and I said, do you really want to know? And she was like, yeah, I really, really want to know how you do it. And I took another deep breath and I went, are you sure you want to know? She was like, yes, yes, tell me how to do it. I said, okay, I'll tell you. I once had a sensei um, who was notoriously, I won't say his name because he's still alive, uh, very cruel and very, very rigorously disciplined. And he taught a particular style of Japanese martial art that is already known for being extremely demanding and extremely rigid and precise and disciplined in its structure. And he was more rigid and precise than the Japanese and stricter than the Japanese to the point where the Japanese instructors would come over instructors and they would say, dude, you need to calm down. Nobody bows this much in Japan. So with all, all the, some bowing, good. This much bowing, no good. So stop that. But he was really rigorous. You know, he believed in what he was doing. And he taught me the power of being in the moment. He taught me the power of mental focus. And just how empowering it can be to speak to another human being, even if they're not in the room with you, but they're in the state of mental focus and purity of intent, single-minded intent, or no-minded intent, mushin, which would be the same thing that samurais and ancient warriors from times gone by who had to make split-second decisions or else they'd be cut in half by a samurai sword would have to make. And he taught me the power of that. And he taught me that if you can maintain that state whilst you communicate, with a purity of intent from the heart with sincerity it can be very, very powerful and it can actually cause the other person to open up. It can cause the other person to experience states of consciousness they didn't even know they had inside of them before, which is pretty cool. 
And around that time, I also had a second master, a second uh, sensei. He was the wizard on the hill. He was much naughtier. He was an American kind of a, a guru, a salesy kind of cheeky dude. He was into martial arts, but he was also into eating a lot of donuts. And uh, he was a tricksy sort of a dude. And his thing was that if you could uh, capture somebody's attention and you had somebody's time and attention for a period of time, that if you altered your emotional state and went into the right state and told them a story, and within that story there were suggestions like, say somebody wanted to become more friendly and more outgoing and more able to build stable relationships, he found through his research and through his work and the scientific research that's out there backs this up, that if you just say certain words to people like um, calmness, focus, singularity of intent, centeredness, communicate with sincerity, the brain and the unconscious automatically take that on as though it's an instruction. But you have to tell people through a story so it goes through into the unconscious mind as a suggestion. If you look at the old hypnosis material from back in the day, a lot of, the, a lot of it used the word suggestion a lot. We suggest, hypnotists and NLP practitioners and good therapists suggest. We don't tell because as in the martial arts, if I come at you with the hard energy, boom, you're gonna hit back with the hard energy. If I push you, in order to stay upright, you're gonna push back. But what if I don't push you? What if I lead you? What if I gently show you that that's the right way to go? What if I just suggest that maybe if you go over there, some good thing will come of that and you'll feel lighter and brighter and happier right the way through your body from the top of your head down to the tips of your toes. You just tingle with it right the way through and it shoots out through your fingers. And you'd be like, what the F are you talking about? And why do I feel different inside my body now? Because the unconscious mind understands. So I was talking to my client and I was telling her about these, uh, these guys, the two masters, one, the stern Zen master, to the more American style mercurial, hey, <laughs> kind of a guy who'd be like, I'm gonna put you into a trance right now. And you'd be laughing going, that's ridiculous. I'm not going into go into a trance straight away. He used a, a, a lot of humor. Um, the first uh, sensei did not use much humor. So I'm telling her about this. And I said to her, look, if you want people to feel something, you need to understand how the human brain, how the human mind works. And you need to have respect and you need to respect boundaries and you need to respect other people's emotions and you need to respect that they're living through their subjective reality and they're feeling what they're feeling. They have two eyes, one nose with two holes in it and one mouth hole where the food goes in and the singing comes out. The rapping comes out, I don't know. Things come out and that we should respect what comes out of this because it has power because words the S word, the sword, the sacred word, the S word, the sword, that has power. It can cut, it can wound, it can heal, it can make people feel good. We've spent plenty of time in human history making each other feel bad. Ah, I'm gonna take your shit, it's mine now. Swords, nah, 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 nah. guilt and shame, nah, 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 nah. We've done loads of that and it's got us to where we are now, which is a highly traumatized state. People are twitching and they're weird and they're freaking out and they're jumping at shadows and they're attacking their own reflection because they're upset and they're not emotionally balanced. They're not bringing the energy back down, coming back inside of the body. Feeling the moment, 
and just being present and just being here and just being alive without being caught in all of these illusions. And sometimes that can be important. Sometimes it's not important. Sometimes it's more important to just have a laugh and fall over. So I said this to her and I said, you should respect what you're saying, respect yourself, respect the power you have with your words and the state you go into. And when you go into a certain emotional state, people catch it because it's contagious. So if I'm feeling good and curious, but I also have a message to deliver that's quite serious, I need to be congruent with that emotional state. And my message needs to be congruent with that emotional state. Well, I respect other people's boundaries. I respect the way that they're feeling in the moment. And I respect that people are fallible, that they forget what they said, that they forget what they promised to do and then didn't do. And then they're in a certain emotional state. It's called an emotional flashback and they're feeling things and they're jumping at shadows. In, calm. Whenever there's conflict, it's an offer. It's an invitation. Would you care to duel with me? Yes. My ego says yes. My ego says, how dare you? Draw the blade and cut. Draw the blade and cut instantly. That's a, a technique from Aijitsu, the, the, the um, art of drawing the sword. The peak of that style is not to draw the sword, see the target and attack it. It is to, as the target presents, to draw the sword and cut preemptively, a preemptive strike. Sometimes we're invited to engage in violence and engage in conflict. That might be physical, that might be psychological, and we can choose to refuse that invitation. But you're refusing the invitation not from the other person, because that person is an illusion outside of you. You're refusing the invitation from the ego, which is saying, do this now, jump up and do something. You can refuse that invitation and you can bring back calm and you can bring back peace and you can bring back compassion, at least into your own space, at least for a few seconds. Even a few seconds of Zen is good, the old monks used to say. And the second thing to realize is that if you want somebody to feel something, you should feel it first. So you should have respect for your words and for other people's feelings. You should realize that if you want somebody to feel something, you need to feel it first. And then the third thing is get really good at telling stories and trust in the power of stories. Trust in the power of telling somebody a story to engage that childlike side of the brain, that part of the unconscious that lacks filters, that just goes, yeah, I wanna listen, tell me about that, that sounds cool. Tell me about the Zen master and the magician. And I said to her, weren't you interested when I said to you, I'm gonna tell you a story? And she said, yeah. And I was like, it's like magic, isn't it? And she went, yeah, how did you do that, you tricky bastard? And I was like, well, because I was trained by the best. I was trained by really good guys. I've always been very lucky in my life that through some strange sequence of events, I get to really good instructors. I fall on the doorstep of amazing instructors in whatever field. It's just, I don't know, karma or whatever. And then the other thing, the fourth thing to remember is the words, specifically the words. If you want somebody to feel calm, then you should use the word calm and talk calm and be calm but you don't have to say to them, hey, calm down, because that's a direct instruction that's gonna inflame the ego and is gonna cause a problem. But you can be calm yourself and you can lead. You can lead their intent and take it to a new place by being in a calm space yourself. It's all a sacred space, really. You know, there isn't like this bit over here is sacred because it's in a temple with like uh, dudes from the Far East with robes on but this place right here is like a McDonald's and it's in my hometown and it's horrible. It's all a sacred space. Some spaces make it easier to access that state and some spaces make it harder. But we ourselves also become like a sacred space that we can control, that we're in, in charge of. 
and you mustn't or you should try, I guess, maybe you, let's, let's suggest it, maybe you could try not to enforce your view of reality on other people and not to enforce what you think other people should be feeling upon them, but accept what it is that they're feeling and then come from that place and then guide it. So I said to her, do you think that's useful? And she was like, yeah, yeah, I can see, we call it transderivational search in neurolinguistic programming. I spoke to her and I could see I got to her because she was going, so the eyes are flicking around as the brain is going like, how do I process all of this new information and how can I use it? And she could see all the ways in her life that she could have done and said things differently and that she was just coming from a place that was rigid and hard and that hurt her, that made her feel bad inside, that sucked for her. And the only time she got released from that suckiness is if she could make other people feel sucky as well. And then she'd be like, okay, that feels a little bit like control. So for a moment, my anxiety and the shitstorm of emotion has come down and I feel okay again. But there's no long-term, there's no light at the end of that tunnel. You're just building more tunnel as you go. You're just building more and more tunnel as you step forward. <laughs> you know, you've got to step out of that. You've got to look at it from a different point of view. So she was like, yeah, cool, I'm going to try this. Which is all you can do is just try it, you know, with a bit of curiosity. Try going into a good state, being in the moment speaking from the heart, tell good stories deliberately that make people feel good, study people who tell good stories and that have learned, you know, have this ability to make people feel good and watch what they do and model what they do and then you'll be able to do it too. Okay, thank you very much for your time and for your attention and I look forward to speaking to you all again soon. Thank you.